Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. So I'm sure you've heard that publishing is subjective. Today, we have a really great conversation about that and what it means for how agents are trained to look at your work and what it means when you're submitting your work to them. We are so happy to welcome Kayla Leitner, a Georgia native. She earned her BA in English from Vassar College. Before finding her way to publishing, she held various positions, including a fashion market assistant at Harper's Bazaar, an editorial assistant at Creative Loafing Atlanta, and a freelance writer at Creative Loafing Atlanta. Kayla, we're so happy you're here. Thank you for having me. So how are you doing in all this? I know it's an unusual time. (laughs) Yes, I'm actually overall doing okay. It's funny. I was telling Julie when we were talking a little bit earlier that I didn't realize how much I took for granted going outside until I couldn't. And so, you know, in my apartment, we're on the top floor of this, you know, little apartment building and the next couple of steps upwards is the roof. And so now we call it, me and my boyfriend joke, we call it the terrace. We're like, oh, are you going to the terrace now? But literally we just like go up to the roof and it's like covered in like bird poop and cigarettes. But it's just like, oh, I get to feel the sun on my face. How wonderful. But overall- Oh, that's awesome. I mean, having a roof in New York at all is like a huge luxury. Even if you have to climb up one of those little sketchy ladders on the side of the building. Mm -hmm. I totally did that for years. What? What? <laughs> okay, so it depends on how your roof is. Kayla's probably got something classy like stairs, but yeah. like, <laughs> let's see. I had one that like you got on the fire escape and then you climbed up a ladder that was on the edge of the fire escape over the edge of the building and then you'd be on the roof. And I had one that was in like a little sketchy closet. And so you'd climb up a ladder and then push the like roof up and out and then climb out and then put the roof back when you went back down. Wow. So I think this is a first for like the Manuscript Academy where I could feel OSHA in my ear being like, Make her stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that, people. That can be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably cut that out. Not recommended, guys. <laughs> I think it's really funny. Kayla, thank yeah. you so much for joining us. Tell us about you and where you are right now. Yes, yes. Um, and so for a second, when you're like, where are you right now? I'm like, well, I'm on my couch. <laughs> no, so I have been in publishing now for two years. And I originally started as a agent assistant at Liza Dawson Associates. And actually before that, I interned with them. And so I've kind of been on the agenting side of the business my entire for the entirety of the time I've been in publishing. Um, can I ask you, so I'm looking at some of your MSLs, WLs. Can we talk about what you're looking oh, for right now? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let me read some of these so sure. everyone can hear them at home. Yes. Um, authors with singular voices that masterfully saddle the line between storytelling and teaching readers something new within commercial fiction, speculative fiction that introduces the reader to some secret obscure society that plays a significant but unknown role in the workings of the world like Big Machine by Victor Lavelle and The Intuitionist by Colson Whitehead. 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, science fiction that integrates, I love these so much, West Indies or the African folklore, like Midnight Robber and the Bitney series, novels that take place in a flawed society that blurs the lines between utopia and dystopia and the tradition of, of Brave New Worlds, horror grounded in history, fantasy that contains a unique non-Eurocentric pantheon and domestic thrillers that are that are fast-paced and make the readers squeal and delight as they get to watch messy characters reap what they sow. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is my See, MSW well this is, too. This is amazing. This is like one of the reasons I love the site so much because you get these really specific but really <laughs> beautiful broad descriptions of what you want. Yeah. And that's so much more than like, I want horror. You know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I had like, I remember it took me, I'm like embarrassed to admit it took me way longer than I thought it would when I was setting up my page to like, you know, really narrow down what I wanted. Because like you said, when you say, oh, I want horror, it's like all of a sudden you realize like, okay, but what type of horror? Mm-hmm. There's, so, there's so many types. And so then kind of really, you know, doing some soul searching and being like, okay, I really like, for example, as you said, horror grounded in history, you know, because I think it's really cool when an author can show that real people and, you know, political institutions are far more terrifying than fictional monsters, you know? So it really forces you whenever, you know, you as an agent or an editor have to come up with what you're you're looking for it really forces you to grapple with what you like to read and why, which is such, which, you know, I wasn't expecting. So it took 10 times longer than I thought it would. (laughs) But I'm so glad you were so specific. I mean, now someone with one of those pieces can send it to you and know that it's in good hands. Yes, absolutely. That was the goal. (laughs) And And how did Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, I do think that when, when, when agents are too broad, Mm -hmm. you know, then it just kind of dilutes your slush pile. Right. And so absolutely, yeah. when you just like put that vibe out there and I feel like it's like, we talk a lot about energy at the manuscript Academy, but Mm -hmm. like when you're putting an energy out there, you're like, Oh, I, I I think I, I think that energy belongs to the book, the energy of my book. So that's a great way to look at it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, if anything, you're, I feel, I, I totally agree that you're kind of diluting your, your slush when you go too broad, but I also feel like you're kind of doing, doing writers a disservice because they, if they see just, for example, oh, she likes fantasy. Like I said, like you guys know, there's, there's so many subsets and subgenres um, that they know, and people put a lot of effort into querying, not just, you know, physical, but emotional. And so it would be, you know, so disrespectful of me <laughs> if I was like, I like fantasy. And then someone was like, okay, but what, what, what about this urban fantasy? And I was like, mm, no, not that type of fantasy. <laughs> and so really help, helping the, the writer out and, and, and specifying as much as I can. I love that you're thinking about their emotional energy too, because that's absolutely true. I mean, I've heard of some agents be like, oh no, you had to send an email, but it's so much more than that. Oh, absolutely. And that's one thing I like, um, I oversee our interns and that's actually one thing that I stress on like their first day. Like it can, especially when you're going through, you know, unsolicited queries, it's very easy to kind of get the glaze over the eyes. And, 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 but I always have to like on my first day be like, Hey, keep in mind that, you know, this is someone who spent a significant chunk of their time and, you know, wrote, you know, 300 pages, you know, like it may not be in a line with what you like to read, but don't discount, you know, the effort that they put into that. Um, that's more than I did. I haven't written 300 pages in the past, you know, like four months. And so just really, yeah, keeping in mind the emotional labor, I think is really important to me, both as, you know, an assistant as an, and as an agent. And also, I think that's so important that giving people that introduction right when they're entering the industry, Mm -hmm. because that's going to stay with them in terms of what's important and how they view all of this throughout their careers. Um, Is there anything 
I think it will. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell us about what it's like to be an intern now or the, the things that you're teaching your interns to prepare them for the future that you think writers would be interested to know? Ooh, that is a fabulous question. Hmm. Let me think. Something that I'm teaching interns now. Okay. I think something that kind of crosses over in like what I'm teaching interns, but would also apply to writers is kind of just being aware of what's happening within genres that you enjoy. I know there's always kind of like this huge debate of, or not debate, but this huge question of writers. What makes great writers um, is that they also read. And I, you know, wholeheartedly suggest that, but I wholeheartedly support that. But I think that's also what makes a great agent as well. Um, and, and a great writer and a great intern, just a great publishing professional in general, in that, especially when I'm, you know, think about, okay, what type of clients do I want to take on? What type of, you know, categories do I want to list in my manuscript wish, wish list? Having a working knowledge of, you know, what's popular, popular right now, you know, what's on the bestseller list is super important. It also kind of gives you a, what's the correct, what's, what am I trying to say? It also gives you a, a great lexicon um, to use when pitching novels, like as you guys know. Um, so when you want to get an editor interested in a, in a, in a book that, you, that you're trying to pitch them, you know, having those wonderful comp titles is always, always a huge asset. But I would think on the writer side, that's also a huge asset. So I love, love, love when in a query I can get a writer who's like, who knows, like, oh, my book is X meets Y. Um, and they're both, you know, books that have come out recently um, a lot of times. Not that it's not a problem, but a lot of times I'll get writers who say, oh, my book, you know, is is similar to this title that came out 40 years ago. And so it's a little bit harder for me as an agent to situate that novel in the current marketplace when it's something that came out so long ago. So that's something I always tell my interns is, you know, just for personal taste, keep in mind what's, you know, going on in the industry, what new books are coming out, but also from a editorial standpoint, it always helps you to know what's happening. It also helps you like when you're, when I, or at least I found, I don't know why I'm generalizing as if my experience is everyone's experience, but I found that it, um, when it comes to editing my client's manuscripts, it is super helpful to have, you know, novels, you know, kind of in the back of my head of like, Hey, you know, this scene isn't working really well. You can use this book as a guide to kind of help drive home what I'm talking about in terms of what you need to fix. And so just always having that working knowledge is always so helpful. I love that because then it gives them a real image and a real feeling of what you're going for instead of yeah. like, oh, just make it more Yeah, tense. yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like it doesn't have enough oomph. You know, the amount of times <laughs> I've, I've had interns say, you know, it just doesn't have enough I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> no <laughs> what kind of them? There are so many kinds of them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this is totally optional, um, and we can just cut this out if you want, but is there a lesson you remember from when you were an intern that has stayed with you throughout your publishing time? Oh my God. Yes. And this is, I, this is what I always, people ask me this question, um, whether it's when they're interviewing with me, you know, for, um, a position at Liza Dawson Associates as an intern, um, when I was interviewing for jobs and publishing, I got asked this question. And so this is something that has absolutely stuck with me from the time when I started as an intern, it was actually Katie or, um, Katie Flume, who is my, my pre or was my predecessor, um, who held my position at Liza Dawson Associates before I joined the team. She was kind of like my, um, my uh, manager for lack of a better word when I was an intern there. And I remember 
one thing she said to me when I was doing a reader's report and for, you know, people who, who don't realize what readers, reader, readers reports are, it's basically something that interns usually do, assistants do them as well, um, where they take a look at an unsolicited manuscript and they read through it. And before passing it along to the agent that they're reading it for, they basically jot down what it's about, its um, merits and its weaknesses and their recommendation on whether or not that agent should maybe reach out to the person about representation. And I remember when I first started doing readers reports, I was so, so, so nervous about getting it wrong uh, about, you know, saying, Oh, this is a great manuscript when it actually wasn't good or saying, Oh, this is horrible. One that when, you know, maybe Liza would take a look at it and be like, Oh, what are you talking about? This is fantastic. So I remember I would, I would take forever to write them because I was so worried about giving the wrong answer. And finally, Katie pulled me aside one day and she's like, Hey, just so you know, there is no wrong answer. You just have to be able to back up what you say. And so ah, I love that. Yeah. And so literally, <laughs> okay. and, and yes, I'm like, and so that literally has driven that advice has stuck with me and enforced, or excuse me, and has what's the word influence. There we go. It has influenced so much of how I view, you know, looking at a story is okay every you know everything about publishing is so subjective um everyone's gonna have different opinions at the end of the day all I can do is really offer my opinion as clearly and concisely as possible and provide the reasoning for why I think what I do and at the end at the end of the day someone might disagree with you but that's okay as long as you can back up what you say and so I tell interns that all the time that's something that I still that's kind of like a a rule that I still, you know, abide by wholeheartedly. Um, and it's absolutely something I think everybody in publishing, you know, should know. Can you tell us a story about a time that you saw subjectivity and publishing in action? Ooh. Okay. Okay. So I would say for me, probably, and this is probably the first time, especially coming out of college. Um, cause I, 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 um, started at Liza Dawson Associates right after I graduated, um, and I was an English major, and so I, you know, took creative writing classes. I took, I, I spent a whole lot of time talking about writing as an art form, <laughs> and you know, there's so much emphasis on is the writing good? Is it, you know, does it speak to you? Is it lyrical? And then I got into publishing, and not that you know there isn't that same emphasis on you know beautiful prose, you know, and lyricism and sentence structure, but also at the same time it's business and you really do have to look at, you know, the economics of of the product that that you're selling. Um, And so I remember a kind of huge, that huge realization that I had of like, oh, first of all, it's objective. And also good writing, like superb writing is not the only thing you need to sell a book was when actually when I first started at Liza Dawson Associates and I read this manuscripts. And I, I hope the person I'm blanking on the name, of course, of the author, but I hope they found representation. But I remember it was this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book about this woman who dies and she finds out that heaven is this giant library and every person has a book. Um, and they have to read their book before they can go on into the afterlife. And it was such a wonderful, yeah, it was such a wonderful premise. It was such a, it was a, it was a book about books, first of all, which was also great. And I remember I read it. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. I thought the, the, the prose was beautiful. I was like, what are you talking about? This is a slam dunk. Um, and so I brought it to the agent that I was reading for 
And that was the first time that I got the, oh yeah, the writing, the writing is great. I agree, but it's not enough for me to sell this book. I can't think of an editor who would want to read it or who would, Mm -hmm. not who I want to read it, but I can't think of an editor who would be able to, you know, pitch this to an acquisitions board. And so that was the first time that I realized that one publishing is subjective because here was something, you know, as, as an intern, of course I was crushed. I was like, oh, but it's so good. But also realized there's so many layers that are working outside of the pros. That was the first kind of, you know, realization I had of there's so many factors at play. Well, and that's so interesting too, um, because if this writer does happen to to hear this, Mm -hmm. they will know that at least three years ago, someone read their work and still remembers it. Yeah. Oh yeah. To this day, I still remember it. It was beautiful. Yeah. And someone under a lot of time pressure still remembers it too. (laughs) Right. So, and I think this is, and I'm, I'm listening to you guys. And so what is it that like, do so at this point do you both look at a book and just know that it will sell or is it something more like you hope it will sell or you just believe in the project so you're just going to go go with it so i mean we just talked about like a beautifully written book that didn't sell so where is your instinct within this that's a great question. And honestly, there we go. I think that's something that it, it depends on the agent. And so for me, who's just getting started, I'm maybe one day I'll develop that, you know, laser sharp insight where I can read the first 40 pages and be like, oh no, I know immediately who would buy this. I know how they would market it. I know what the publicity campaign would look like. This is a slam dunk. I haven't gotten there yet. Me, I found that I need to chew on things a little bit. And so I found that I have to give it, it, even if I really, really love something and I like plow through it, I like read it in one night, fiction or nonfiction, I make myself pause because <laughs> it's very easy, especially if I really love the writing as we've kind of, we, we figured out I'm a sucker for good prose. Even if I really love the writing, I make myself stop and say, okay, now think about this from a marketing angle. Think about this, you know, from a sales angle, what would the comp titles for this be? I'm really forcing myself to take a step back from it, which is really hard because especially when you're a new agent and you have this, you want to like jump on this project before someone else does. And, and you, so it's very, you want you're very territorial tutorial about it. And so who knows, maybe, like I said, when I am in the industry a little bit longer, I won't need to take a step back from it for so long. Um, but for now, that's what I force myself to do because it, it, it changes from book to book. I do something similar, but it's more that, okay, I finish it and then I go about my life for a couple of days. And if I keep thinking about it, that to me is a really strong sign. That's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just because editors are going to do the same and whatever magical quality it is that keeps it in your head mm-hmm. might translate to keeping it in the head of an editor as well. That's very true. I, I, okay. This, and I'm going to say, I'm going to add something that might make me come across as a very awful person, not awful person, but just like very, like really Kayla. Um, I've, I've also found sometimes I have, if I'm like really, really, really on the fence with something, I'll ask myself, would you be mad if you lost out on this author? Like, would you genuinely be upset if you were like, oh, like, would would you gripe about it months from now? And if the answer is yes, that means that I really am like emotionally invested in that person. Oh, that's a good way to go about it. I like yeah. that. I might take that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so how did you know you wanted to work in publishing? Okay. So, and I think, and actually, Jessica, I think you and I have talked about this, um, before I, um, 
I, f- I found that people who work in publishing are usually in one of two camps. They either knew like straight out of the womb that they wanted to work with publishing or they kind of just like stumbled their way into it. And I was one of those people who stumbled their way into it. I originally thought I wanted to work in journalism. That was like originally what I thought I was going to do in college. And so I did a couple of internships at a creative news weekly in Atlanta called Creative Loafing. I freelanced for them for a little bit. And while I like it was so fun and I loved it, the hustle... I, I was not about it. Um, I was not about getting up at 4 a.m. and driving to, you know, up in the up in Cloudland, Georgia, five hours away to interview somebody. So I have, oh, that's a lot. Yeah. So I have mad respect. First of all, I, I say that and say I have mad respect for journalists. Um, no one hustles like they do. I was not about it. Um, so I so I was like, okay, but I really like writing. I really like crafting narratives. And so I was like, okay, maybe journalism's not for me. Maybe I'll work in magazines. And so then I um, interned at Harper's Bazaar. And while, once again, that was such a cool experience, also found it was not my jam. I'm one of those people who wears, you know... Who, who, if they could wear leggings every day of their life, they would and be totally fine. <laughs> and so I was not of that. I was not of that ilk. And so finally, after I had interned with Harper's Bazaar, I kind of, you know, kind of did some soul searching and looked through all the positions I had occupied and realized that all of them in some form had something to do with books. And so when I was working in journalism, one things I, one of the things I did is I did book reviews. And so we had a huge pile of arcs at the time I didn't. No, that's what they were called. But we had in the office, we had this huge pile of arcs and the best days were Friday. Cause I, I would get to go in when it was kind of slow and my boss would be, Hey, go pick a book from the pile, read it. And by Monday morning, have a review for me. And so that was like one of my favorite things to do. And then also at the Harper's Bazaar office, they also got arcs. I don't know why as a fashion magazine, but they would, they would, they also had a huge table of arcs. And whenever I wasn't doing something, I would hide in the, in the closet, in the fashion closet. That's like what it's called. Um, and Wait, there's re- actually a fashion closet? There's a fashion closet. It's, oh, it's, I didn't think that was real. I thought oh, it was something they just made up on that. What is that show? The bold type? <laughs> no, I promise. It's a real thing. It's like a huge closet, obviously. It's like, <laughs> it's like the size of my apartment, but that's where they keep all the clothes that they're using for upcoming issues. And they would also stick the interns in there as well. Um, so oh it, would be, it would be like six college-aged interns surrounded by like fancy shoes. Um, but also I would sit there and read. And so I was like, you know, okay, so let me try and do something with books. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted necessarily to do editorial. So I went on bookjobs.com and saw a job list or yeah, a job listing for an internship at Liza Dawson Associates. And that's, you know, kind of how I got started. I had never heard of a literary agency. I didn't know what, what agents did. I didn't understand the kind of role they played in the publishing industry at large. And it wasn't until after graduating um, and Liza offered me a job as an assistant that I was like, oh, no, this is this is what feels right. This is, you know, kind of I feel like as an as as an agent, you're kind of on the the front lines (laughs) and and that's really such an exciting place to be. Um, I really wanted to play. I realized I really wanted to play like a developmental role um, in the path that stories take on their way to being published. And so what better place to do that than at an agency? 
So when you take a piece of work, do you edit it? Oh, do you, yeah. Do you just want, like, so your foot full, like, editorial before you submit it? That's a great question. It depends on the project. Me personally, if it needs, like, editing work, oh, absolutely, agents do that. And so, it, like I said, it depends on the, the, the state of the project when we get it. And with newer agents like myself who don't have as big of a list, of clients that, you know, that we have to dedicate our, our attention to, we kind of have a luxury of being able to take on projects that need a little bit more work as opposed to people who've been in the industry longer. You know, they have upwards of 50 clients. And then of course, you know, if they, they come across a project that they really, really love, they'll put the work into it if it needs to be done. But yeah, even on a, a developmental level, agents edit, edit a manuscript. What's something you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry? So when I first started, I was, I was under the impression that a love of writing and a job within publishing were mutually exclusive. And so I thought you couldn't admit that you loved and wanted to write if you also worked in publishing. And so that's something I love to do in my spare time. That's something I've always loved to do. And I remember I was really embarrassed when I first started um, working um, as an assistant because I was worried that people would accuse me of being in publishing for the wrong reasons. I was worried people would say, oh, well, you were just trying to get your book published. You know, like you're just trying to get connections. (laughs) No, I I felt that too. I think that's Mm -hmm. a real thing where it's like, there's the illusion that you can't do both. And you're told over and over again, oh, well, editorial will just kill your soul. So you can't write anymore. Absolutely. Um, But then you start to see all these people who are in publishing. Yes. Yes. And that, and that was a turning point for me. And it was such a kind of just like freeing relief to, to, cause I, I, I started coming across, you know, editors who either were working on books or had published books themselves. I started coming across scouts who also like kind of wrote in their spare time. I don't know how scouts have the, the time to write. G- like they're the only people I think who read more than editors. So mad props to any scouts who also write, um, you know, I started coming across other agents who, um, write, I I particularly thought as an agent, like, oh, that's going to be a huge conflict of interest. You know, I I was worried, you know, oh, any clients would be like, oh, are you paying attention to my book? Are you paying attention to your book? And so um, finally starting to come across more and more people who were, who were doing what they loved in terms of working in in publishing, but also doing what they loved in terms of writing and realizing that that was absolutely a possibility. Once I realized that Toni Morrison also worked in publishing and then wrote all her books, I was like, oh, nobody can tell me anything. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, I'm good. Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's literally like two different parts of the brain, right? So when you're writing, you're using a part of your brain, and when you're editing, you're using a different part of your mm-hmm. of your brain. And so, like the fact that people put rules on that just feels to me just to be totally ridiculous, you know? Yeah, but you get so many rules when you come into publishing. At least oh, I felt like there were so many rules, mm-hmm. and it was the sort of thing that would like take years for you to learn, and you were always had to be very very careful because if you break any of them, it's the end of the world, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about what scouts are? Because I bet a lot of our listeners don't know what they are. Oh, that's such, okay. This is such a great question because up until I want to say 
a year ago, I fully didn't understand what scales were either. And I remember I finally had to sit one of my coworkers down and be like, okay, you deal with the scouts. What exactly do they do? And she broke it down in the best way. She said, they're basically like the spies of the literary world. Um, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh my God, how great. And so basically what they do is they scout out uh, projects, you know, before, before, Anybody else, they kind of have the inside scoop on, you know, books that are, are, are coming out, books that are being acquired. And the reason they have this advanced knowledge is because they are working with foreign publishers and trying to place books with foreign publishers um, or, or pu- pu- I should say, place them in foreign markets where they think they would perform well. And so because, you know, a publish- with a publishing, everything is, is happening at least a year in advance. That's partially why they have such an advanced knowledge so that foreign markets have time to read the book, figure out if it's the right fit for them, um, you know, et cetera. But yeah, is that, yeah, that's, yeah, they're, they're just the spies of the publishing world. And they help people find projects that they wouldn't find otherwise. Otherwise, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) So I was wondering, as you guys were talking, and I feel like it's such a weird time, and it's such, you know, like, none of us have ever been so connected and disconnected at the same time. So what type of things are showing up in both of your inboxes, and what trends are you seeing right now? I think in my inbox, I am seeing, in terms of, Oh, this is fun. Oh, in terms of nonfiction, I'm seeing a lot of what I call hot mess memoirs, which are great. And I, I say that lovingly. I like, yes, send me all the hot mess memoirs, which are basically these nonfiction accounts of people, usually like in early adulthood, just kind of grappling with what it means to be an adult, grappling with the hot mess that is your 20s. And as someone who is in the, in the throes of it, it's just so nice to see other people being like, oh yeah, I have no clue what's going on either. And I'm like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> um, and so that's something that I'm seeing a lot of um, this, this sort of, you know, nonfiction, especially like in terms of, of essay collections, seeing more of those humorous ex- essay collections that are grappling with, with new adulthood, even though new adult is not necessarily a category anymore, which I think is interesting. And then in terms of, I'm trying to think, in terms of commercial fiction, what am I seeing? I'm seeing a, in, in science fiction, I'm seeing a lot more ruthless female protagonists, which, yes, please, give me all yeah, of them. Seriously. <laughs> this is absolutely in my manuscript wish list as well, but I really, really, really want to make a, a book about just a unapologetically ruthless female dictator who has to, she can be, she can be an awful person that she does not have to be likable at all. That's totally fine. I want equal opportunity villainy in books, seeing more villains that are female um, and who are unapologetically, you know, evil and ruthless and, and don't care whose toes they step on or heads they cut off. I love it. (laughs) So tell us about something that isn't nearly as scary or hopeless as writers fear it is. This sounds very dark, but I would not dark, but very sad. I would say losing an agent or cutting ties with your agent isn't as scary or, 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 you know, end of the world as it seems. Um, usually because, or I should say, usually because I found that at the end of the day, it's better to not have an agent as opposed to have an agent who's not a good fit for you. And so 
perhaps, so actually perhaps I should say, let me rephrase that. I should say something that's not scary or shouldn't be scary is passing on an agent because you feel they're not a good fit for your work. Even if they're the only person who's currently, you know, offering you representation. If at the end of the day, even if you guys, you know, they may be a perfectly nice person, they may at the end really like your work, but if at there's some there's something going on where you feel like oh maybe editorially we just don't mesh uh, or they don't quite understand the vision for your story, I think at the end of the day it's okay to say oh thank you so much for offering representation, but I'm gonna pass you know as the writer and that's totally okay to do. It's not the end of the world. Chances are if someone if one agent you know fell in love with your work, more than likely someone else will as well. And you at the end of the day, it's better to wait to find someone who really can champion your work and and do it due diligence as opposed to just cling to someone because they're the only person who offered and also that's why agents are so careful taking someone on because it's so much better to spot that before you've worked together for several Mm -hmm. months and it's not working yeah and also I mean I never want to impose my vision on someone else's work if it doesn't match what they have in mind absolutely absolutely and that's absolutely something you need to be cognizant of as an agent as well but I am always trying to, as I was talking about earlier with emotional energy, always trying to keep in mind what's going through the writer's head um, when, you know, you're deep because, you know, it's such a huge, you've like said, put so much work into a project and you're so invested in it. And so to get that offer, to get that email saying, hey, I love your work. I would really hop, love to hop on the phone with you. That must be such a big deal. And so I can imagine how stressful and scary it must be. Um, if you are to talk with that person and hopefully they like, you know, said, as you're pointing out, Jessica, at the end of the day, their vision really does match up with yours. But at the end of the day, no one knows your work better than you do as the writer. And so if ultimately if you have, you know, butterflies in your tummy saying, Hey, this isn't something, something's not quite right here. It's okay to walk away. So um, that, that, that's, scary to think about for the, from the writing perspective. Uh, but I think a lot of people are, um, going to be really pleased to hear that, that your gut instinct is the way to go with a lot of these decisions. And just for the people out there, I would, I would also say that um, we've heard from a lot of writers in the Manuscript Academy that like they part of ways and then it was just, uh, just like a, you know, a, a spot on their journey, you know, yes. and they went on and it was fine. Yes. So it's just interesting. And it's kind of, you know, it is in some ways it is kind of like relationships you have, yeah. you know, where, you know, like you dated that guy and he was amazing at first and made really good pie. And then all of a sudden it went poorly. And that's just part of the <laughs> pie. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get a lot of sweets here in quarantine, but, um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's just, it's just kind of part of life. That oh, absolutely. Are, you know, they come and they go and that's okay. So let's pivot a little bit. If you had Google level funding, mm-hmm. you could do anything you wanted and it wasn't in publishing, what would you do? This is going to sound so cheesy. And so, you know, we are the world, but I think and it's also, it's also kind of cheating because it still kind of has to do with publishing. But I think I would somehow, maybe I would use my money to lobby congressmen. Maybe that's what I would do. That's how I would use my influence. But I would make it mandatory that there have to be, writing workshops have to be a instrumental part of American curriculum from the time kids can hold pencils to the time they graduate. Because there's such 
there's, I just feel like there's such a wonder. First of all, kids are awesome writers and I feel like they don't get enough credit. <laughs> I, I, I used to work as a camp counselor and one of the kind of activities we would do is, is, is creative writing. And every day the kids would get a prompt, um, of being like, Oh, write about, you know, something in nature you saw today or write about a time you were really, really happy. And kids come up with like some Pulitzer level stuff that you just <laughs> like, it's just in its profundity and it's in its, it's, you know, lyrical, it's lyricality. <laughs> Um, and so that's something I, that's a memory I was kind of I've, I've held on to and I would love to if in some way if I were you know ruler of the world with my Google level funding I would make it where there had they would have to be like creative writing workshops from the time kids can you know spell their name because I feel like there's just really something really cool that could come out of kids being able to express themselves via writing yeah. And also it would teach them so many skills that would be useful for later. So there'd be so many kids who would then be better at forming complex ideas and sharing them with yeah. people, um, better at giving feedback in a way that doesn't hurt people, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, better at, you know, coming up with constructive ways forward and, you know, merging the vision of one person with, you know, how to best communicate that with everyone else. I think that's a lot of really good skills, even if they're not writing about, uh, even if they're not writing in a way that a adults can necessarily understand and appreciate this is still teaching them so many useful things Mm -hmm. and also and I realized I one thing I really loved about that as well um just Jessica as you're talking it reminds me it also teaches them that what you have to say is valuable like yeah yeah and in, in kind of really embedding in that embedding the embedding that idea in them when they're really young is like what you have to say is valuable and and you know other people should hear it Do you guys, do you feel me smiling? Do you, do you feel me smiling, you guys? So, so this is like, this is why I haven't been teaching. Like, th- like that's, like, that's why I haven't gone back to teaching because it used to be like that, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it used to be that you could actually honor the child and the writer in that child and give them the opportunity just to practice and practice and practice the skill. And, like, as you were talking, I was, like, melting in and, like, mm-hmm. warm, right, like, teaching like yes and I and I guess if I was gonna say one thing I think I think we're gonna come back to that I do I think that you're putting that energy out there and we're gonna hit that I'm trying really soon also Um, Julie no it's making me think that it's like should there be a special like bring your kid to the manuscript academy day oh Jessica I already have a whole thing planned of course you do That sounds so good. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah, that's a very cool name to it. Yeah. So that's something I've been kicking around. Surprise. Come surprise. So I guess I know we've been talking for almost an hour now, Kayla. So what are your best tips for, for new writers? That's a great question. It's also, sorry, I'm so long-winded. Every time I talk, I'm like, oh my God, Kayla. No, no you're perfect. We love it. I wish we could talk to you all day. If I didn't have stuff to do, I'd be like, yeah, we're still on here. Everyone get a drink. Everyone get a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we were saying earlier, we should have bourbon. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Did you see someone on, on Twitter was like, what what desk bourbon should I have? What tips Ooh. do you have? And one person's like, get a big bottle. And the next person's like, get a big cup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, so no, I, dist- I distracted us. Can you tell me again what the question was? I distracted myself actually. Yeah. So, so what are, what are your best tips for writers starting out? Okay. Um, I would say don't hesitate to find a writer's group is my first tip. And that's something as someone who else loves to write that I'm still struggling with, because it is absolutely scary to put your work in front of people who are judging it 
and, you know, tell and telling you, you know, what's working, what's not working. It can be really scary. But at the end of the day, I can't tell you how many times in my queries I have read something. And I'm like, Oh my God, this, this core concept is so, so, so good. But you can tell that the person hasn't really, you know, fleshed it out yet. They haven't kind of really worked out all the kinks. And sometimes when you spend something, you spend so much time with your manuscript, you start to get that tunnel vision where you can't see the bird's eye view. You can't see it from farther out and then kind of take, you know, a very objective stance on what's working and what's, what's not working. Of course you've created it. And so there's so much to be gained from having that outside eye, whether it's just, it's a single person or it's like a group of people. So maybe not a workshop and that's, but as definitely get, you know, an outside reading of your work before you go out on submission with it. That's my first tip. My second tip, and this is something I always say as well, is do your research when you are just starting to look for representation. So not just when you're just starting to write your book, but when you're just starting to think about getting it traditionally published is don't hesitate to do your research because at the end of the day, I think on every single level, publishing is just a giant game of matchmaker. Um, that's kind of my take is that so much of publishing is taking a manuscript and placing it with the person who will love it the most and champion it the most. And so as a writer, make sure you do your due diligence in researching agents who would be the best fit for your story. Cause we're going to do the same thing on, on our end. When we're taking your manuscript and pitching it to editors, we're going to try and place it with the editor who can you know, champion it the most at their, at their imprint. And so we do our, our research as well. Um, and so writers should do their research when they're, when they're looking for um, agents to pitch to. And we appreciate that so much. I mean, I don't know about you, Kayla, but when I see that someone knows who I am beyond, you know, the description on my business card, that is heartwarming and comforting. Yeah, yeah. And like Julie was saying earlier, it really is a relationship. And so, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time with, with your agent, either virtually, well, mostly virtually, unless you live near them for some reason. I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it really is like this relationship that you're forming. And so you want to make sure, you know, you can stick with that or, or you would like to stick with that person for, for, for the long run. And then also, this is something I said way earlier, but I still think it, it stands true is read other people's works, read bestsellers in your genre, read stuff out, outside your genre as well. Cause you know, you never know where an idea is going to come from. But again, going back to that tunnel vision, make sure you're, you're reading, you know, what's coming out in your genre. You know, and I do think people have a hard time sometimes finding the, the oh, right yeah. group for them. Oh, yeah. And so just like places to look. Our local library here in Maine has a fabulous writers group. Um, there's obviously SCBWI, if you're writing on the children's side. Um, there's, of course, Manuscript Academy, which um, our Facebook group has people on there asking for critique partners all the time. But yeah, like, like that should be your first line of defense. Mm -hmm. And from the next point, you know, then you can start kind of testing it out. But you like as agents, you guys can kind of sniff it. I think like you could sniff raw talent and sometimes like that talent's just not ready, you know? And so, so just thinking of it as just, I always say it's, I used to be a waitress in college, but it's like wine. Right. So it's like, it's like, you know, like you start with the kind that's not that good. And unfortunately, I have a really good sniffer for wine now. <laughs> um, but it is. It, it's interesting. As a final question, what do you wish that writers knew from your side of the desk? 
Okay, I wish that writers knew two things. The first one being that at the end of the day, we are your cheerleaders. We are, you know, kind of your 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 pep team, your hype man. I'm actually, oh my God, I'm going to steal Katie's quote again because she's just <laughs> so great. And so I all credit to, to this quote goes to Katie Flume. But I saw on Twitter, she said a lot of times, eight, people think agents are sitting in, you know, these ivory towers, you know, judging people, you know, in the manuscripts that come across their desk. But really at the end of the day, we're down in the trenches with you. You know, we're really with you from the beginning. Yeah. And, yeah, and we have so much emotionally invested in your work and we really do want you to succeed. And so, you know, when whenever we're, you know, offering insight or, you know, editorial notes, we're doing it with the mindset of wanting to make your work as strong as possible. We're not doing it to be, you know, snooty or like, oh, well, it'd be better if you just did this. It really is like at the end of the day, we're in most, we want to see you succeed. And we kind of it's almost kind of like having a kid, which is weird because I don't have any kids. So I'm so maybe, maybe Julia, you'll be like, no, that's not accurate at all. But this idea of wanting, especially when you go out on submission with editors, it absolutely feels like you're just sending your child off into the world, into the wolves. Um, and so you, you, that's all to say we are as emotionally invested in your project as you are. And then I think, um, the second thing I would want people to know from our side of the desk is that agents um, are people too. And so we're growing, we're changing, we're learning as well. And so we talked about, you know, my manuscript wish list at the beginning of, of, the, of the interview. And who knows, maybe a year from now, six months from now, three months from now, something on that list will change because, you know, I am a person and I'm reading and I'm, you know, constantly tweaking who I am. And so at the end of the day, if you have an agent that you really want to work with and your book doesn't necessarily fall in line with what they're looking for right now, check, check back in on them. And, you know, in a year or so, Julie, it's like what you were saying with wine, not only are our manuscripts maturing, but agents are maturing as well. And our tastes are maybe not maturing, but changing, developing. It, it's not static. And so, you know, it, it never feel like you, you have to shut the door on someone because their taste at the moment does not align with what your book is about. I love that. And I think that is so true on so many levels where people, we have things happen to us and go have cool experiences and learn and grow and want to be there for you creatively. So I think it's really important to recognize that we're not like a fixed value and neither are you. You should yeah, be growing. Changing absolutely. Too. absolutely. And also you aren't a commodity. I was thinking that was something I was thinking about um, with coronavirus. When I say you, I mean writers. There's, it's so funny. I keep seeing on Twitter this, um, this has nothing to do with the question. So I don't know why I'm saying this right now, <laughs> um, but this idea, especially during coronavirus of like, Oh, everybody's inside. Everybody has time to write every, like if you aren't producing something, if you aren't producing the next great American novel, what, what are you even doing? And realizing that no, like it's okay. You, you aren't a commodity, you're a person. And as a, as an agent, I'm going to treat you as a person, not as, you know, kind of like as like a, a, a prize dairy cow, like, what are you producing for me now? You know, it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very, it's very much like a, no, I, I want, like I'm in, mo I am invested not only in your work as an author, but also as your well being as a person. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that one of the things that's so interesting about writing is that the more of a person you are, the mm -hmm. more of a book you'll create. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. 
Mm, that's interesting. What a great, like, I just want to end on that because I think it's so beautiful. Like that we all have the ability as writers to create like the best of us, you know, like yeah. oh, we can have like good writers or like, like make kids good writers and make ourselves good writers. And we're going to all get out into the sunshine. It's going to be summer and we're going to be amazing. Yes. Kayla, where can I find you online? Okay. So you can find me on Twitter at Leitner Kayla. That's not original at all. You know what? <laughs> that's my Twitter handle. And that's where I do most of my, my, speakings online I don't know what other word but but yeah thank you so much this was lovely yeah thank you so much Kayla we are so glad that you joined us and as always we appreciate your feedback just head on over to the iTunes store and let's know what you think it not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform we'd love to hear from you If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.